Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is Lazarus Lessons, or Lessons from Lazarus, John 11, and we're going to do the first 16 verses today, but why are we in John 11? Well, we're actually in Mark 11, the triumphal entry. But that's not until uh, next April or something. So I got to stretch this out until. No, I'm kidding. Okay. So uh, I'm kidding. We're going to do it. We're going to do it soon. But the triumphal entry, the crowds, we see the crowds when we get to Mark 11, the crowds are going wild, but the religious leaders have a murderous rage. And to really understand why the crowds are gonzo and why the religious leaders have so much hate and murder in their eyes, we, to really understand it, I want to jump over to John chapter 11, a parallel passage. And this passage we're looking at comes just before the triumphal entry and explains a lot. Explains a lot. Now, there's two levels to the story that we're going to look at today. The first one is it sets up the triumphal entry. It's preparing why the crowd is the way it is and why the, the religious leaders are the way they are. But it's also, there's also a lot of faith-building lessons. In fact, I'm, it's going to take me a little longer than I thought to get to a couple of weeks to get through John 11 because there's a lot of faith-building lessons for each one of us that lead up to the triumphal entry. It's a story of Lazarus, who was a very close friend of Jesus, and Jesus loved him deeply. They were very, very close. And yet something happens to Lazarus. Something bad happens to Lazarus, which the Holy Spirit will use to teach us, who are also loved by God, some very vital lessons. Just as this stuff happened to someone who's loved by Jesus very closely, something bad happens, there's some lessons in that to help us who are also loved by God, some vital faith lessons. Why do bad things happen to God's people? Not good people. There's no such thing as good people. Read Romans chapter 3. There's no one good, not even one. Look at that list. That's us, right? But why do bad things happen to God's people? And we're going to look what we've seen the last few weeks in our church. Look what we've gone through. And that's just what you know of. (laughs) I know of a lot more. Kim and I know of a lot more. And a lot of you know of more that nobody else even knows. It's between you and God. Look what has been happening. It's been an unbelievable spiritual roller coaster, right? It really has been a roller coaster. Well, put on your spiritual seatbelts because the Holy Spirit's going to take us on quite a ride as we go through this passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for bringing each of us here. Through many trials and struggles and battles, we know it's in the Bible. If we're breathing, we're struggling with something. We pray for your mercy and grace today. And I pray that your word would encourage us and give us hope. Just as we've heard words of hope that that you can heal marriages and bring miracles, Lord, we pray that you would give us that same hope for whatever we're going through in our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to read the whole passage. We're only going to do the first 16 verses today, but I'm going to read the whole passage because it'll all make sense if I do that today, all right? So kind of put it in context. John chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. 
So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by the day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when we walk by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man, have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. 
his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for that one you do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as the high priest that year, he prophesied. Wow, what a passage, huh? Preparing for the triumphal entry. And there's, I'm gonna, we're going to only do the first 16 verses here today, but there's some keys, and this is what I want to focus on today. We're getting ready for the triumphal entry, but, but there's some real vital spiritual lessons as we go, and there's some keys here to remember when we're in a crisis. Anybody here in a crisis? Or been one lately? Or if you aren't, then you're going to be heading into one. All right, that's kind of the rule, right? We're either coming out of one or heading into one. Verses 1 to 3, the key, get the, see if you can catch the key here. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped her feet, his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. This is a great lesson on prayer, a, a great picture of how we should handle a crisis when we're going through something. When we're struggling with something, the best thing to do is to take that struggle to God in prayer. Notice she didn't tell Jesus what to do. She didn't give him a list, uh, a to-do list there. She simply said she shared her desperate situation. That's all she did. She did say the one you love, and that's the key is when we go to prayer and when we're going through a trial, focus that, that, that should be our focus. Focus on God's amazing love for us. Ephesians talks about knowing the love of Christ and how deep and wide and high and is that love. And, and, and that's what we have to focus on, that love. It started with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It started with Jesus coming to die for us, that God sacrificed his own son on the cross so that if we put our faith in him, we can have a new life. We can, our sins can be forgiven. We can have a life here on earth, a real life here on earth, and life forever with God someday in heaven someday. That's what that love of God has done for us. And when we put our faith in him, we, we act on that love. But, but that, the, that didn't stop with that. It just continues and continues every day. And, and the key here is focus on God's amazing love. Don't measure God's love by life circumstances. Don't measure our faith in God by life circumstances. It's very important. We can't Focus on the circumstances and say, well, this is how much God loves me. No, don't do that. Do appeal to God's love and leave it in his hands. When we're going through that trial, just focus on the love that he has for us and leave it in his hands. That's a great 
lesson for how we handle our prayers, we go into our, our, our trials as we're going through something that's hard. The second key, verse 4, there's another one. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. So that God's Son may be glorified through it. God's people, and this is key to remember, God's people suffer for his glory. Anything that we go through that is, is a struggle, that we suffer, if we focus it on, on God, it's for his glory. That's why he puts us through it. That's why he puts us through it. How? Well, sometimes God gets glory because he heals us. He heals, we're going through something, and he heals a marriage, or he heals a sickness, or he heals something. Uh, but So that healing is a powerful witness. But even if he doesn't heal us here, he's going to heal us there. There's ultimate healing for everyone who puts their faith in Christ. It's also another way that we glorify God through our suffering is our witness. When people see how we handle, if we handle it in faith. That's a key. A lot of people have been checking in on, on Nate's Caring Bridge thing, and, and they've been, people in the community have said to me, Wow, can't believe the faith. Brian and Petty's faith through this whole thing. They're shocked. Because without Christ, we can't handle it that way, can we? And another way we, we glorify God is when God, God refines us and purifies us through that suffering. We allow him to do something in our life that's glorifying him, that, that shows the value of what he's putting us through. I think of how pearls are made. When an oyster gets sand in its shell, it squirts the water and shoots it out. But sometimes it can't. The, the sand is in such a place that it can't get the, the sand out. It's squirting, squirting, can't do it. So it goes to plan B. And it secretes a substance that is very smooth and, and uh, soft. And he starts to coat that grain of sand with a substance called pearl. And over time, layer upon layer is added to that until finally... The very thing that caused that oyster so much pain and irritation becomes a thing of beauty and valuable. It becomes a pearl. And that's what God intends as we go through our trials and struggles. He wants to refine us and bring something beautiful out of that. And we hear that when we, we have our testimony times. We hear that over and over how God works in just powerful, beautiful ways in our life, right? Another key here, not just, not just to lay things before God and, and depend on his love, and also that we suffer for his glory, but another key is in verses 5 and 6. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Jesus loved them very, very much. Probably the closest friends he had on earth, these three. Yet he waited two days. Lazarus is in critical condition. He's in ICU. And he waits two days to go be there. Crazy, right? But the lesson we learn from that is this. God's love is not contingent on how fast he moves. 
Remember that. What do we want? Where are you, God? Hurry up. But his love is not contingent on how fast he moves. There are purposes in his delay. And we already know what the purpose is because we saw the end of the story. I read the whole passage there. But Jesus was intent on building Mary and Martha's faith, 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 and also, I'm sure, Lazarus' faith. I'm sure his faith was helped by this, right? And not only theirs, our faith. The disciples' faith, but also our faith, 2,000 years later. So often, God uses this to grow our faith. He puts us in these situations, and he delays, and he lets us struggle, and he lets us pray, and he lets us battle, and he lets us work through our doubts, and, and he's trying to grow our faith. We do the same thing, don't we? We do the same thing with, with our kids. We often have to let them struggle to grow. If we don't let them struggle, what do they end up? They end up hurt. They end up, we end up crippling them emotionally and indifferent spiritually. If we, if we rescue them or we always save them, we always bail them out of something, we enable them. You think of uh, when we were kids, we used to take the, the caterpillars and let them turn into the cocoon. And then, and then when they start to come out, they would like fight their way out, fight their way out. And, it, and then they come out this beautiful butterfly or, or moth, whatever we had in there. But sometimes we would get impatient or we'd feel bad for that caterpillar and we would try to help it we'd tear it apart you know tear it open and let them out and they came out and they never flew their wings stayed all crumpled up because what pushed whatever they have the fluid blood caterpillar blood butterfly blood whatever they have in there that 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 struggles what pushes the blood into their wings and prepares them for flying. And if, we, and if we help them out, they never flew. And the same thing happens with, with our children. If we are always bailing them out and, and, and rescuing them, they'll never fly. They'll always be crippled that way. And the same thing goes spiritually. That's what God knows. He knows what, how much we need to struggle in order to be strong enough to fly and, and become who we're called to be. Do we realize how much God loves us? This morning, do we trust that love? Do we trust Him? Someone sent me a a prayer years ago, and I held held on to it. And I just think it's called a beautiful prayer. It says, "I ask God to take away my habit." God said, "No, it is not for me to take away, but for you to give up." I ask God to make my handicapped child whole. God said, "No, his spirit is whole." His body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience. God said, no, patience is a byproduct of tribulations. It isn't granted, it is learned. I asked God to give me happiness. God said, no, I give you blessings. Happiness is up to you. I asked God to spare me pain. God said, no, suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me. I asked God to make my spirit grow. God said, no, you must grow your own, but I will prune you to make you fruitful. I asked God for all of these things that I might enjoy life. God said, no, I will give you life so that you may enjoy all things. I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. God said, ah, finally you have the idea. 
thought that was a, a great prayer to, that brings out what God is trying to do in our life. Are, do we realize how much he loves us? Do we realize, are we willing to wait? Are we willing to let God finish the job in us and in other people? Instead of focusing on escape or rescue, right? That's what we always focus on, escaping ourselves or helping, rescuing somebody else. Are we, will we instead focus on praying and learning from these lessons that we have before us that instead say, Lord, this person, whoever they are, who you love is struggling with this. Just appeal to his love and leave it in his hands. God, this, my child or my friend or this person in the church, they're struggling with X, Y, and Z. And I know you love them. And just leave it there, trusting him. Maybe you're today and you've never realized God's love or acted on his love that we find in John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the first step is that that we re- realize that God gave his only son for us that he died on the cross for us to pay for our sin. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There has to be a time when we act on that love when we put our faith, we believe and we put our faith in the love of Jesus. Have you ever acted on that love, giving your life to Jesus? Have you taken that step? Jesus then goes on to give, uh, after he gives these, this, these lessons, he goes on to give a crash course in discipleship. Now this is for the 12 apostles, but it's also for us because it's preparing them and us for what follows, the triumphal entry and the, his resurrection. That's what it's really preparing them for. And we see some lessons in discipleship. Let's start with verse 7, when he says to him, then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now it's interesting, he didn't say let's go to Lazarus' house, did he? They would be okay with that. He didn't say let's go to uh, Bethany, which is in Judea. No, he says, let's go to Judea. Now, why is that such a test? He's testing them because uh, he's, he's throwing out this test because this is scary for them. This is a test for the next 60 seconds. You will, you know, he's giving them that test, right? They know what happened last time they were in Judea. The last time they tried to murder Jesus and they put out a contract on his life. And he's testing them because he's, he's calling them to follow him to a place where there's danger, where there's a place of opposition. And this is a common way that God deals with us, isn't it? Well, it's very, very common, actually. He takes us to the place where our flesh least wants to go. He has to put us in a place where our flesh is not comfortable. The last place we want to go, he takes us to. I think of mission trips. when we plan a mission trip, the first thing parents often ask is, is it safe? <laughs> and I always answer, well, if God's calling your, your teenager to go on this trip, it is very, very safe. You can't be any place safer. But then, then often the parents say, well, I'm thinking about going, but, but uh, is it comfortable? <laughs> That's what we ask, right? We ask, is it comfortable? What are we really asking? Is it a, is it a good hotel? Uh, are there real bathrooms? You know, will we get sick if we eat the food? Uh, well, remember what happened to Goldilocks? When everything was just right, what happened? She fell asleep. And that's what God's trying to keep us from doing. That's why mission trips and hard places that he puts us in and, and then challenging places, he's trying to keep us from falling asleep. God, the, le- 
lessons in discipleship, God often leads us to places of trial and testing where our flesh is not comfortable. Where our flesh is not comfortable. Verse 8, he, look how the disciples handed their test. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there? What are they trying to do? They're failing this test, aren't they? They didn't, they didn't get this lesson. It's too dangerous. We can't do that. Jesus, that's too dangerous. That's a bad idea. Jesus, anybody ever tell Jesus he has bad ideas for your life? Nobody here, but you might know someone like that. It's safer here. We don't want to go there. We don't want to move anywhere. We don't want to do anything different. It's safer here. Uh, you know, and we try to talk God out of something, right? You ever do that? You might have done it this morning. You might have done it when you're sleeping. I don't want to get out of bed, Jesus. I don't really, I'm, my, I'm really tired. I just need a morning off. I, I don't really want to go to church. Nobody here. Then lesson number two he gives them in his verses 11 to 13. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus has been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Now, here's the perspective from Jesus. Christians don't have to fear death. It's just like falling asleep. The disciples are all afraid they're all going to be killed, right? For good reason. They all were, uh, ultimately. But Jesus said there's no need to fear death. Christians don't die. We just fall asleep. If we don't know Christ, we die. And, it's not, and we don't wake up in a good place. But when, when a Christian dies, they don't die. They just fall asleep. Are we afraid to fall asleep? No. We look forward to it. And the older we get, the more we look forward to it, right? And we add not just night sleep, but naps and anything that we can add to it, right? And, and that's the same picture of moving to heaven someday. And those, the older we get spiritually, the more we look forward to heaven, Right? I hear more and more people say, come Lord Jesus, I'm sick of this, you know, going through all this, right? The more we go through, the more we look forward to heaven. Am I right? <laughs> we had that talk, right, in the hospital. You were called me from the hospital. It's, we start to really look forward to that time. But we don't, we don't fear falling asleep. We shouldn't fear dying because it's just spiritually falling asleep. In Acts 7, 59 to 60, the first New Testament martyr, uh, Stephen, Stephen says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. What did he do? He died. But spiritually, he just fell asleep. That's a key concept to remember Christians don't die we just fall asleep in fact when the, all the persecutions the Rome was persecuting the Christians and everybody's being burned at the stake and fed the lions and, and one of the Christians wrote a, a great letter to the, the, the authorities he said you can kill us but you can't hurt us that's the lesson very important lesson we get from this Lazarus story here. Lesson number three is really wild here. Verses 14 to 16. So, they told, so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there. So that you may believe, 
but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He says, Lazarus is dead. He finally has to really spell it out for these guys, right? But he said, I'm glad I wasn't there because why? He wants to build their faith. And this is the, the, the final lesson we're going to focus on today. He's going to fi- he wants to build their faith. He wants to build it. He wants to show them his power. He wants to show them who he really is. He wants them to know, just as we saw Mary and Martha, Martha realizing he's the son of God. He wants to build it. And he knew that Lazarus wouldn't have died if he was there. Jesus said that. We, should, we already know that. No one ever died in Jesus' presence. Did you ever realize that? Nobody ever died in Jesus' presence. Jairus' daughter. Get up, girl. Right? The widow's son. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Stop everything. Open the casket. Even on the cross. Two guys on both sides of him. The two thieves, they couldn't die until Jesus did. Why did Jesus die first? Because they couldn't die until he did. He had to die first so they could die. No one ever died in Jesus' presence. And this time, the disciples passed the test. Look what they say. Let's go with him. They didn't know he was going to resurrect Lazarus and build their faith, which was this whole lesson here. They only knew that Lazarus was dead and there was probably a good chance that they would die too if they followed him to Judea. That's all they knew. But look at Thomas says. He says, let's go die with him. Thomas gets a bad rap, doesn't he? What do we usually call him? Doubting Thomas. Poor guy. Thomas means twin. The word means twin. And the doubting Thomas had a twin and his, that, his name is Courage, courageous Thomas. Sure, he had doubt, but he had faith too. See, God uses our doubt to build our faith. He uses it. Everybody thinks, oh, I got doubt. I got to just chuck my faith. This is over. No, faith, doubt is meant to grow our faith. It's meant to drive us to, to, to Jesus. It's meant to drive us into God's word. It's meant to help to, to, to really dig and to grow and to struggle in our faith so that the faith grows. If you never doubt, your faith is about this deep. But doubt is what grows our faith. And there's the twin of doubt and faith. So Courageous Thomas passes this test. We're going to continue this uh, next week and continue to prepare for the triumphal entry. And we have some real lessons of faith along the way, as you already saw. But I think we've got enough to chew on today. How is God testing us? How are you being tested? What trial are you going through? What faith lesson is God trying to, to grow in you? What, how is he trying to grow your faith by helping you accomplish some impossible thing, trying to accomplish some impossible thing in your life or in or through you? How is God growing your faith? Maybe he's leading us to a Judea, a difficult place, a difficult ministry, a difficult person. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the class at school. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your, the team you're on. Some uncomfortable place, maybe even a dangerous place. Are we going to make excuses? 
Or are we going to follow Jesus where he's calling us to go? Do we realize that we don't have to fear death? That Christians never die? We don't die. We just take a nap. We're going to see, uh, and when we take that nap, it's a quick power nap. <laughs> we wake up, you know, power nap? We wake up, we wake up with a whole, whole lot of power. The power of Christ in our life. Will we commit to obedience and following Jesus even when it doesn't make sense? Being faithful in, in the little struggles in our life? Knowing that God is preparing us for something. Every little battle is preparing us for something else. Every step of obedience, every little step is preparing us for a bigger step. What does it matter if I do this or don't do this or give into this temptation or don't take the step of faith or take a real spiritual nap? What does it matter? Well, each of these things are preparing us for something that God wants to accomplish in our life. It brought to mind, when I was doing this, it brought to mind what happened on September 11th. Seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? But I, the, the story of Todd Beamer, just, I saved this story. When Todd Beamer was on flight 93, some of you know, remember what happened with that when it crashed. But he tried to call his wife, and he was trying to reach her. He was using the plane's air phone, but he couldn't get through to her. But a Later on, a reporter, a couple days later, got a hold of his wife, and she shared the story. Um, her name was Lisa Jefferson, got a hold of his wife, Lisa Beamer, and told, she said, I'll just read some of this. Jefferson told Lisa that her husband had been calm and matter-of-fact during the call. Jefferson told Lisa that Todd had talked about his family and he asked her to call his wife if he did not make it home. I don't think we're going to get out of this thing, he told Jefferson. I'm going to have to go out on faith. Todd asked Jefferson to pray with him. And together, over the phone, they recited the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. Then they recited the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus help me, Todd said. Then she heard him say, are you guys ready? Let's roll. A, place, a phrase he often used with his boys. Seconds of struggle, then nothing. Now, well, we know what happened. They battled, they crashed the plane, they saved many lives, but they sacrificed themselves in the plane. But his wife said something that reminds me of what we talked about today. She said, Todd lived every day trying to make little decisions that were in line with the big goals he had for his life. The actions he took on September 11th were just one more example of that. Obviously, there the, these were some of the hardest and most courageous decisions he made, but he was able to make them because he was practicing every day before September 11th. God's preparing us, each of us, for our own battles, our own crises, 
our own September 11th. And we may never be in the paper, and we may never be on a magazine or in the news. But God knows. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And the angels are watching. And there's a lot of them watching. Do you have that confidence and assurance this morning that Todd Beamer had? Can you live a life of freedom without fear, even of death? Will you someday die or just fall asleep? Do you have the confidence that the day comes that you take that last breath? It's not death, it's just falling asleep. It's a power nap. The key is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Let's pray. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know you have that eternal life? Have you ever acted on God's love, the love that sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us, to pay for our sin, to take our punishment, so that we become children of God, sons and daughters of God. Have you ever believed? The word believe is a lot deeper than intellectual. It's knowing something, but it means to put your faith in, to, to cling to, to put your trust in, complete dependence in. You can do that right now. You never have to fear death again. You never have to fear life struggles again. If you believe. Just pray the prayer of faith. Right where you're sitting. Right where you are right now. God, I believe Jesus died for me. I repent of my sin. Everything I've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong, I repent of that. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son Jesus. I give my life to you, God. If you've just prayed that prayer to God. You have received his love in full. And your life will never be the same. You'll have God, your Father, walking through this life hand in hand with you. And as you approach the end of this life, you'll be entering a, a new eternal life with him forever.
It's just a short nap away. I want to encourage you to let somebody know that you've taken this step of faith so we could be excited for you, encouraged. Maybe you came with someone, have a friend here, family member, fill out the card, email, something. Let somebody know. Let me know. Because we'll be so excited but want to help you grow in your new faith. For those of us who've already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What lesson has the Holy Spirit burned into our hearts today? Maybe it's a step of obedience, a step of dependence. Maybe instead of fighting against God, it's a surrender and saying, God, I'm going to let you accomplish what you want to accomplish in me. Maybe we've been saying no to taking a step, some step. Maybe it's across the street or around the world. Maybe it's a next-door neighbor or a friend, or it's someone we've never met yet. But we would say, God, I'll, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts today. And would go eat deeper each day. We pray for your mercy and grace to accomplish this. In Jesus' name, amen.